You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So the era of Aaron Rodgers has officially come to an end. Um, this as new quarterback, Brett Favre, seems to have emerged as the front runner. We don't know much about uh, this Brett Favre yet. It seems a little wild. Uh, he's got a cannon. Sort of a, you know, one of those Josh Allen types, you know, big, strong arm kind of guy. I don't know. We'll see what it is, but uh, new era. I'm going to briefly mention that, as well as maybe look at a few superlatives for the Green Bay Packers. After that, we'll see where we're left off. As for iTunes Watch, I believe I need like five more. Something like that. Four, five, six in that range. Literally just looked at it, already forgot, not going to open the tab back up. But we're close. Otherwise, if you have any questions or comments for the show, please check the description. There is a phone number there for you. There's also one link, and it is a link of links. Just wanted to clean things up a little bit. But I've got some um, Packernet Podcast merchandise, a link to join the Facebook group, um, several ways that you can support the podcast. There is a PFF subscription. That'll give you a discount if you want to go that route. And that's about it. So we'll take our break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So apparently on Instagram, Brett Favre decided it would be a good idea to write this message. A true champion sticks to his or her calling. I will be coming out of retirement and making my return to play in the NFL for the 2020 season. Stay tuned for more news. And then exclamation point. Now, when I heard that he was coming out of retirement, I was like, all right, look. It could mean a lot of different things. Number one, it could be a joke. But then they said he deleted it. So it's kind of like, why did you delete it? It's just a joke. And I thought, well, maybe it's a misunderstanding. I mean, it doesn't. You know, maybe he's talking about coming out as a coach. That could be. Maybe it's some other kind of capacity like that. Maybe he's talking about the XFL. That'd be kind of crazy. 
but he says he's going to return to play in the NFL for the 2020 season. I mean, it's about as specific. There's not a lot of gray area here. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, he's not coming back to play. I don't think he would be dumb enough to do that. And I don't think, I'm about 99% sure there isn't a team on this planet that would be dumb enough to sign him even as a third string backup. So I just, I don't understand exactly what the benefit of this is. I've been, I'm kind of down to, it was a really dumb joke, which I'm pretty sure it's not April Fool's. Even if it was, it would be one of those like, dude, that was a really lame attempt. Number two would be somebody else did this. Somebody's messing with him, you know, grandkid. I don't know how old his grandkids would be if he has grandkids. I'm guessing his kids would be too old. I think they're my-ish age. I think, because I remember when I was younger thinking, who knows, you know, maybe when I'm older, Brett Favre will be my dad. I don't know, we never know. So we'll say roughly my age. So a prank, a hack, but I would have thought that that would have been addressed by now. Like, hey man, somebody's messing around, unless Brett Favre just thinks it's funny, and it's like, yeah, I should probably tell people, but whatever. But that doesn't make a lot of sense. The last one, and it, as dumb as it is, and I think it would be a bad idea, is the one that makes kind of the most sense, barely, because it makes zero sense, but it would be some kind of a marketing ploy. In other words, he wants our attention, and he absolutely got it, and now he's going to do something with it, if that makes sense. The problem is, whatever he has to say is going to feel dumb. Like, oh, check out my new book. It's like, no, dummy, you just said you're coming out of retirement and you then just to tell us you have a book? I will never read that. I mean, you could have just left out all the, the, you know, the part of the sentence that's a complete lie and just said, I have big news, and then let us go crazy and say, ooh, he's coming out of retirement! And then you could be the one to be like, no, dummy. It's a, it's a book. It's a cookbook. Recipes, man. Shrimp gumbo, red sauce, cocktail, grits, and biscuits going to be good. That's the first recipe. But I don't know. And of course there is that that option that he is actually coming back to play. Which, no lie, whether it's NFL, XFL, BFL, whatever, I'm going to watch it. I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to um, pay for cable to watch the XFL if it's on cable, but I'll, I'll, I'll illegally steal it for sure. For sure! Because I want to relive my childhood, as does Brett Favre, apparently. It's going to be sad for all of us. It's going to be sad for Brett Favre and for us to see that he is pathetic as far as quarterbacks go in 2019 as a 700-year-old dinosaur. But the lead-up is going to be awesome. Either way, even though I'm looking at this as this is just going to disappear, as far as anything interesting, there's not going to be any more developments. And if we find anything out, it's just going to be dumb. Even though I know this... There's going to be that little piece of me that's like, what's he going to say? And I just have a feeling there's not going to be any news for a very long time, and that's going to drive me insane. Like, just say the dumb thing so I can say I told you so, and I can move on with my life. But we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping somebody is tracking down Brett Favre and is like, dude, tell me what's going on. It turns out he was on a bender all weekend and doesn't even know what happened. That would be fine. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Whiskey and pain pills, right? It does. Cra- you do crazy stuff. I don't know. Was that mean? I'm sorry. Well, you can't say too soon, for crying out loud. That was like 20 years ago. Just a joke lighting up. Anyways, enough of that silliness. I want to flip over real quick to the Facebook group. There's been some activity. And Ben asked the question, with LeFleur running the offense, do you think Hackett will have a major impact? I actually think Hackett is kind of interesting. Um, I don't obviously have any idea 
And I think if he does have a big impact, we're not really going to know about it. Um, if the offense succeeds, everyone's going to be looking at Lafleur as a genius. If it fails, it's going to be because of Lafleur. Nobody, I don't, I don't even know if anyone's going to even ask the question unless it comes up um, how pivotal Hackett is because he's not calling the plays. He's kind of behind the scenes. But I am kind of interested um, in what he can be. He's got a pretty good pedigree, right? He started off with John Gruden. He's a lowly offensive quality control coach. Uh, he stays with that job for the Buffalo Bills, gets a little bit of a promotion for Doug Marone, and basically Doug Marone falls in love with the guy in a completely professional football way and doesn't let him go. Literally since 2010, when Doug Marone first hired him at Syracuse, he's been dragging him along everywhere he went. That's not to say Doug Marone couldn't have, or excuse me, that Hackett couldn't have gone somewhere else. Obviously, it was a mutual relationship. They got along well or whatever. But as Doug Marone was, was going up the ladder, I mean, he, he took Hackett everywhere. When he left Syracuse, he went to the Buffalo Bills. He hired uh, Hackett to be his offensive coordinator. When Doug Marone went to Jacksonville, Hackett went with him and was the quarterback's coach. One year later, Marone gets promoted to interim head coach. What does he do? He appoints his boy to be the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars. That's the way it was from 2016 to 2018. So my point in all this is that he's been relatively shielded and, you know, behind one particular person and on not super great teams. So it's it's a relative unknown, even though he's been kind of out there, right? You can see his offenses. So I am interested to see what exactly he brings but I think uh, if you look at the comments, if you're in the group, Sean Luke goes on to say Hackett's impact will show up most in the run game. Everywhere he's been, the run game has been so solid regardless of quarterback play. I think that's a pretty good point and a, a kind of an important point. Not only was 2017 a banner year for the Jaguars as far as running the ball, they were number one in attempts, number one in yards, number two in touchdowns, number nine in yards per attempt. But they were also pretty solid in 2013 with the Buffalo Bills. Now, I don't know how much Hackett had to do with that. You could, you could honestly kind of go the other direction with it because they were pretty good in 2012. He comes in in 2013. They were still kind of good in the 2014 when he was there. They kind of fell off. But whatever. Bottom line is running the ball has been um, something that his offenses have excelled at much more than throwing the ball, which, you know, you can blame the quarterbacks, whatever. But beyond that, if you look at who uh, Doug Marone is, Doug Marone is an offensive line guy. I mean, he started off as an offensive line coach coach for um, the Coast Guard team in 1993. Moved on to OL coach in, uh, for Northwestern, tight ends coach for Georgia Tech, offensive line Georgia Tech, offensive line coach for Georgia, tight ends coach and offensive tackles coach for Tennessee, offensive line coach for the Jets, and then that's when his career kind of took off with offensive coordinator for the Saints, head coach Syracuse, Buffalo, Jacksonville, etc., etc., point is though this has been the main instructor for our offensive coordinator you know when we look at Lafleur we want to know who his his teachers have been so we look at guys like Kyle Shanahan we look at at Mike Shanahan we look at Lafleur you look at Jay Gruden and you try to understand what they do and so it kind of adds to the dynamic of being able to run the ball we know Lafleur cares a lot about it we know he wants to be able to do it another interesting thing is that Although Hackett and um, and Doug Marone did run a West Coast offense at times, primarily both with the Buffalo Bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars, including in 2018, they actually ran an Air Coriel system. So they're 
you know, obviously LaFleur is going to be the main driver of what this offense is, but as far as different wrinkles and things that we might be able to anticipate, Eric Coriel could be a, a part of what the team is doing. And although Eric Coriel is about, you know, you think about it, it's like, oh, it's all throwing the ball and deep passes and all that stuff. Eric Coriel is run the ball, set up, play action. It is, it is primarily a rushing offense. It's probably why you saw um, Doug Marone and Nathaniel Hackett do it, because they were primarily teams that ran the ball well, teams that did not have great quarterbacks. So you run the ball down the other team's throat, and then you set up play-action passes for, for big gains down the field. That's what Nathaniel Hackett brings to this offense. And again, that's going to be more input than, you know, we're obviously not going to run an Eric Coriel system. We don't want to look like the Jacksonville Jaguars necessarily, but to have somebody that's had such a strong emphasis in in the importance of rushing the ball is going to be important because the Green Bay Packers are not a running team. They haven't been in my lifetime. They've been aired out teams. Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, right? It's just give the quarterback the ball and let him rip it down the field. That's what it's been since forever. So this is sort of a, a change in mentality, a change in culture, a change in, in identity. Again, not to the full extent of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but it's a full 180 in terms of, no, we're, we're actually going to take this very seriously. We're going to run the ball a lot, and we're going to do it well. So to have Hackett there to, to help drill that, to help teach that, to help coach all that, it's going to be pretty important. So I, I think to kind of go back to the original question, um, do you think he'll have a major impact? I, I think he could have as Sean Luke said, uh, a pretty big impact on the run game. And then, you know, not that LaFleur didn't do it because everybody's anticipating it anyways, but you hear the players talk about setting up play-action passes, deep plays down the field and all that kind of stuff. That's where Nathaniel Hackett's also going to be able to come in and help. So running the ball and then also setting up the pass off the run is sort of, it's a Eric Coriel special. So it's going to be kind of interesting. You know, West Coast offense, you think more, Although the Patriots don't run a West Coast offense, but that's kind of what you think of, right? High completion rate, short passes, efficiency, slant routes. Air Coriel is, it's more of what, it, it, it's interesting because it's more of what you're hearing coming out of, of the Packers locker room. When you hear little glimpses of what the NF, or the the Packers players are saying and, and trying to set up big plays down the field. You keep hearing that. You keep hearing about the how speed is, is important on this team and how guys like Trevor Davis are really standing out. It just has an Air Coriel feel to it. But again, I'm sure it's primarily going to be the high-efficiency West Coast with some, some big shots. And being able to execute that is going to be important, right? When we set it up, it has to work. And part of the reason it's going to work or, or part of the, the, the reason they believe it's going to work and they want to implement it is because we have guys like Marquez who, when we decide to make this thing go, and we're going to set up a play action, you know, fake handoff, take his drop. You got guys that are down the field, right? You need guys that can really stretch the field, and the Packers have them. So, again, it it's a matter of he need Lafleur is going to need help implementing certain things, and I do think Hackett is going to help him do that. The question of is he going to have a high impact? Yeah, he's he's going to be able to help implement things. Whether or not it's going to be a high impact that leads to a lot of success, I have no idea. Anyways, another, uh, not a question, but a comment in the facing Facebook group from Dustin. This is going back quite a ways. He said he's just getting caught up on some of the episodes. But uh, quite a while ago, I was talking about the idea that Packers fans need to be more grateful and stop complaining about how many, the, you know, the lack of Super Bowls. Because it's just, you know, there's 32 teams. And you got to look at the sustained success and be happy with that. Obviously, we could have pulled off a few more. But even the, the negative parts, you know, the, the bad draft years, the lack of, 
you know, finding success in free agency. Again, if we stop looking internally and start looking externally at other teams, you realize that's the norm. Having a bad year of drafting is the norm. Not hitting in free agency is the norm, even for teams that are aggressive in free agency as opposed to not aggressive. But I'll read what he had to say. He says, I understand not putting so much weight on Super Bowl wins. Yes, it's tough to win it, let alone get there. But I think we as a fan base should be disappointed in our lack of Super Bowls as well as Super Bowl appearances. For myself and many fans, it was unnecessary ways that we lost. Whether it was McCarthy playing it safe in 2014, us depending on rookies and getting torched by Fitzgerald in 2015, not loading up our defense and getting destroyed in Atlanta in 2016. It's one thing to lose like New Orleans has the last two years, but our team could have been better. But Thompson played it safe. And I did say in that podcast, you could criticize the team kind of down the stretch, at least insofar as the changes should have come a long time ago, right? That's the one thing that I think you could be upset about Murphy for, for not doing this sooner. You know, get rid of the defensive coordinator, get rid of Ted Thompson, get rid of Mike McCarthy. However, again, I think if we go back and be very deliberate and very specific and say, what should we have done? When you look at how bad that defense was, you can't put together in one year a defense that's going to be able to stop Atlanta. You just can't. It's not possible. And even if you can go back and look at all the free agents and just say, you know, well, maybe, maybe if, you know, and I, I don't even know, you got to look at the salary cap. It's possible we didn't have enough cap. But if you go back and look at who the free agents were and then look at who was a successful free agent and go out and get like five of them, even then it's not guaranteed, number one. Number two, we probably didn't have enough salary cap to get all five. Number three, the odds that any team is going to hit on all five is impossible. Maybe we go out and get three free agents like Brian Gutekunst does, three, four, five, whatever. Maybe two of them actually are okay. If they end up getting to the postseason healthy, the odds that they make the difference between losing to Atlanta and winning a Super Bowl, I mean, by, by the time we get past all these obstacles, we're at like 1%. It just doesn't matter that much. As I said, it's, it's, you've, you've got to sustain success for a period. You, know, you, you have to be good for a period of time. You've got to draft well for a few years. You've got to hit in free agency, and these things aren't guarantees. Occasionally you get a team that, that blows up because they had one great draft, right? Seattle, whatever year that was, uh, the Colts, the Saints. But that's short term. If you can't continue to do that every year, you're going to have your flurry and you're going to fade out. The fact of the matter is the Packers slowly started to deteriorate because there weren't any real good drafts. And we weren't even at replacement rate. We weren't even at the point where as guys were leaving, we were replacing them with guys that are of equal or, or greater talent. And yeah, that's a problem, but that again, that's also the norm. And I'm not saying you have to accept it and be okay with it and be like, oh, that's fine, we, we had a terrible draft and our team is going to be garbage, and that's I'm, I'm fine with that. There's a difference between expecting your GM to be able to hit in the draft and expecting your team to win a Super Bowl. Big difference. I, I expect Brian Gutekunst to, and I, I don't really know yet, we have to see, you know, usually you give a guy three years, so we've got a little while before we can critique him. But of the free agencies brought in, how many of them have been super high impact? Well, we look at last year, not many. Muhammad Wilkerson didn't play very much, and when he did, he wasn't super impactful. He brought in Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham. Neither of them were very impactful. He drafted Jair. Jair was pretty good. Josh Jackson was not impactful. Oren Burks was not impactful, right? So we got to see what exactly happens. And I do expect that he drafts well. If he doesn't, he's not a very good GM. I expect him to hit in free agency, which is, and it's not just hit in free agency, it's it's to be intelligent. That's part of what I'm trying to get at it in, in, you know, in rebuttal to what Dustin had to say, 
You can't just say we should have done something. What? Specifically what? Who would have made the difference? Who could we have gone out and got? And the only way that you can even do that is to go back in time and assume that it was just a given. Well, obviously everybody knew. No, nobody knew. The, the hit rate is, is belo- well below 50%, and the cost is inflated for free agents. So you're overpaying for guys that have a less than 50% chance of even producing as high as you expect them to. Almost always they're a bust. Every single year they're super big free agents. Oh, we got to get this guy. Packer fans are freaking out. Got to go get him. Some other team gets him. Packer fans freak out. The thing is, nobody seems to want to revisit it. Nobody wants to come back and talk to those Packer fans and say, hey, remember when you were super adamant we got to get this guy? Remember when he went to that team and they overpaid him and he was garbage? Do you you want to talk about that at all? No, we don't, because we're too busy looking at next year's free agents and how we got to get those guys, and we got to get Le'Veon, and we got to get Antonio Brown, and we got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. We got to give away all our draft picks and all our money for Khalil Mack, because that's going to change everything. No, it's not. You've got to consistently build a team. You've got to build a culture. You've got to have accountability. You've got to have coaches that are going to show up. You've got to be good enough to get into the playoffs. And from there, it's just a crapshoot. And I think the Patriots are are almost evidence of that. How many years in which they won the Super Bowl did they have the best roster? Probably in and around close to zero. They didn't last year. That's not the best team in the NFL. Give me a break. It doesn't matter. The point is they know how to win. They know what to do in the postseason. It's not about these freakish free agents they went out and overpaid. No, they never do that. They underpay for people that just kind of do something but don't really matter that much. And occasionally they'll have a big play. But if you look at the Super Bowl winners over the last, you know, since Aaron Rodgers has been in there, the fact that we have won, I wish it was higher. It would have been nice if if we came out on top one of those years in which we were pretty good. But every single year there are elite dynamic teams that just didn't make it, right? Last year's Chiefs looked a lot like the 2011 Packers. Scariest offense on the planet, no defense. And again, you can, we can look at it and go, well, we should have done something about defense. Okay, well, it's hard to stack up an offense to be that good and also have an elite defense. I, I, you know, it's, it's all just hypothetical stuff, but when you nail down to specifics, what specifically should have been done? I mean, I think if you could honestly answer that question, you'd probably be better served as a GM. Because I don't think anybody in the NFL has figured out how to do exactly what it is you're saying that the Packers should have done. And again, I agree with you on, on at least part of it. That they weren't doing exactly, and, and it just depends where we're talking, you know, in and around what, 2015, 2016 is when things started to go south. The drafting went south. I think the coaching went south. The accountability, everything kind of just, you know, everybody just kind of threw up their hands. And that's when it becomes unacceptable. But that's not really what we're talking about. I'm upset about the fact that we went from a team that every year was in the playoffs and had the potential to get in and then faded off to a team that just doesn't even get to replacement rate. We faded off to a team that, you know, isn't a guarantee to get in the playoffs, isn't a favorite in the NFC North, and is now in rebuild mode because of a lack of of desire to even be good at anything anymore. But that's, again, that's not the question here. The question is, should we have had more Super Bowls? And what I'm saying is I'm not upset about the production of 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. It would have been nice in that stretch if we didn't won a Super Bowl, but over the course of four or five years or whatever, in which we had a good enough team but couldn't quite get over the hump, that's just, that's football. I don't know what else to say. The Rams had a great team. The Saints, incredible team. The Saints have a better roster than the Patriots do. That's not even close. The Saints probably have the best roster in the NFL. The Rams have a, a ridiculous, the Chiefs, and the Colts, freakish. 
The Ravens defense, so many great and deserving teams. The Bears, I mean, the, the Bears defense was unbelievable with an offense that is at least good enough to to navigate their way through, right? If, if the Eagles can do it for a year, right? If the, if the Jaguars could kind of fake it kind of near toward the end, maybe the Bears got a shot. Bears had a shot and they failed. The Eagles had a shot and they failed. The Colts had a great shot and they failed. The Chiefs, best offense we've seen in forever, failed. The Rams, dominant team, failed. The Saints, awesome offense, very good defense, failed. And I and I guess my point is I'm not looking back at that and saying each one of those teams is a failure. That doesn't even make sense because they can't all win a Super Bowl. So yes, I wish we would have won more. I wish things could have been a little bit different. I wish we were more proactive starting in about 2015 when things started to go south and started to look not quite right and the Packers weren't exactly you know, top dog anymore. And it took way too long to try to turn things around. And as far as quote-unquote wasting Rodgers' years, that's where I look at it as a waste. But again, looking at a very good team that didn't quite get all the way to the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl, it's very upsetting and I wish we could have done it. But I don't think it poorly reflects on the team necessarily. The team was a great football team. And to come down on McCarthy about being a garbage coach or come down on Thompson for being a garbage GM, looking at the 2011, 12, and 13, 14 teams, that's a bridge too far for me. The guys that actually built that team to look at them and say they were failures because they blew a, a play you know, against the Cardinals. Nah, I'm not going there with you. Just can't quite take it there. But anyways, looking into the future, it really does. This is when we do kind of look at the coaches, the GM, Mark Murphy. This is when we all look at them and put them on the clock and say, did you fix it? Because you, you know, Mark Murphy at least, allowed it to get to this point. Now it's on you to fix it. You brought in the GM. You helped to bring in the head coach. Now is when we can start to have expectations and say, I expect to be back in the playoffs. I have expectations of Brian Gutekunst to hit in the draft, especially like this past year when you've got two first-round draft picks, I expect some production. When you go out and do spend all this cap room and do spend tons of money on guys that are you know, like Preston and Zedarius and, and Billy Turner and Adrian Amos, I expect production. It's not enough to just go by. That's exactly my point. It's, it's you know, we, we get on Ted Thompson, well, he didn't do anything. Well, doing anything doesn't necessarily mean much. Doing something and succeeding is ideal. Then the next best thing is to do nothing, and then the worst thing is to do something and swing and miss. So, again, everybody's on the clock now, and, and whether or not this team is going to just, you know, look at those last several years as a minor bump in the road, and, and you know, Gutekunst is a mastermind who was able to, in one year, basically, or, you know, kind of two, but basically one year just flip this thing on its head and put the Packers right back in contention, or whether we're just going to continue this downward descent and Rodgers is going to end his career on a... T- perennial 8-8 eight and eight kind of team, that's kind of the big question going forward. I'm excited about it, also very nervous about it, but again, my expectation is to get back to a contender status. My hope is that we're good enough to keep building through the draft, that, that Gutekunst is good enough to build you know, a, a quality team that even if we don't get in this year, next year he's going to add a bunch more talent through free agency and through the draft, and, and our replacement rate is going to be positive. In other words, we're adding more talent than we're losing. And eventually, hopefully, we're good enough to at least win one more. But just one final time, that isn't the norm. So it shouldn't necessarily be an expectation. It's a hope, and it's a desire, and I would love to win the Super Bowl every single year until forever, even though I would get bored after a few years. Presumably, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. But I I, I guess that's just the 
little, and you know, you mentioned it and you're not arguing. I don't mean to argue either. That's just kind of where I draw the line between hope and expectation. You seem to be leaning on expectation, and I just don't think that that's a reasonable expectation for anybody. Although I also hope that, wished we would have, and hope that we can do that in the future. Anyways, let's take our uh, second break here, and we'll co- when we come back, we'll do a couple superlatives, just for fun. I don't know. We can do this until forever, so we'll just we'll get started and uh, maybe do a few more. It'd also be good to, well, we'll talk about it after the break. So if you have any ideas as far as superlatives, you know, best, most, least, this, that, whatever, it actually fits kind of nice because Al just wrote a article for Packernet, my biggest worry on offense, and that's almost exactly where I was planning to go with this. But again, you can do this until forever. So if you have any thoughts on superlatives or, you know, anything as far as, you know, even would you rather type stuff, just throw it up in the Facebook group, text me, questions, whatever. Feels like a really good off-season kind of topic. So what Al's article was, was um, it's entitled My Biggest Worry on Offense, and he was looking at a particular position group. Now you can go read his article to see what he had to say. And I guess it kind of depends how you want to do this. Right? If you just leave it open-ended, what is your biggest fear on offense? Well, it's that Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. That's That's easy. But maybe not playing the injury game, what position group, position player, whatever, kind of has you the most nervous? That's kind of tough. I, I guess doing process of elimination, it's not going to be quarterback because Aaron Rodgers is fine. I don't mean that to sound bad. I'm just saying there's obviously there's no problem there. If you look at running back, you know, again, if we don't play the injury game, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I like Aaron, Aaron Jones a lot. I think even if he does go down or something happens, even though there's a massive drop-off, in my opinion, with uh, Dexter and Jamal, I think like a lot of people point out, even run-heavy teams, and as much as I don't necessarily like when people say this, I think there's a lot of truth in it, it's not about how productive you are in the run, it's that you run. Obviously, I would take a 10-yard run over a 4-yard run, as would any coach in the league, but I think you get enough with Dexter and Jamal that it doesn't completely cripple the scheme. Um, Fullback isn't as important of a position for me to care about, although I don't expect a lot of production from it. Offensive line, I'd like to say, is a concern. However, it wasn't really a breaking point last year. It wasn't great, could have been better, but the two most important positions in my mind are the tackles. I like our tackles. Uh, I think the next most important is the center, and I really like our center. Uh, Lane Taylor is, you know, we're not going to get worse than Lane Taylor. Worst case scenario is we keep Lane Taylor. Best case scenario, we upgrade Lane Taylor, so that's not a problem. And then right guard, although I don't have a huge amount of, of, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to get worse. I think the offensive line is going to get better, and I think we had a pretty good offensive line last year. Could have been a lot better. Hopefully it does get better. But that's not a huge hiccup for me. So that kind of just leaves wide receiver and tight end in my mind. Tight end is clearly the bigger concern between the two, but I don't know how important it is, which kind of leads me back to what I talked about yesterday in terms of why in the world are we going out and getting all these tight ends. It's kind of making me believe LaFleur is looking at this going, dude, if, if, if my scheme is going to go going to be a tight end we need and if we can't find one that can do what I need him to do we're in a lot of trouble and if that's the case a little bit concerning however still wide receiver is way more important than tight end and that does worry me quite a bit I like our wide receivers I'm excited about the potential leaps that they might have but my biggest concern about 2019 is that it looks a lot like 2018 and in 2018 you had wide receivers that either didn't know what they were doing couldn't separate didn't know what to do when the play broke down and it just, it just wasn't working. Between the quarterback and the wide receivers, it just was not working. 
And we can blame that on Mike McCarthy. We can blame it on Rodgers. We can blame it on the wide receivers. A little of both, a little of all three. Mix and match however you want to do it. But I think my biggest concern, and also the thing that's going to catapult this offense if it does get catapulted, I think it's going to be the production of the wide receivers. That's going to be the biggest question mark. And you can lump tight end with that, right? Them being a receiving threat as well. So if I wanted to cheat and just make this an obvious answer, it would be the receivers, meaning wide receivers and tight ends. Now, there's teams out there that, you know, are able to succeed with much much worse situations than Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and everybody else, right? Lesser quarterbacks, lesser wide receivers, and they're still able to function. <coughs> I'm dying. But still, I, I, I think an Aaron Rodgers team is a talented offensive team, right? I'm, I'm, I'm all excited about the defense and what it can do, but the defense stopping other teams from scoring, while Aaron Rodgers on the other side is just struggling, you know, just like, a guy trying to start his lawnmower, right? It just, it, it won't go. He flooded the engine like an hour ago because he won't stop priming it because he's just angry. And again, the flip side of that is if, if we can get, if we can just get this thing to work. Again, I'm not trying to blame the wide receivers necessarily, but whether it's Lafleur, Rodgers, the wide receivers themselves, if, if this thing just goes and then you add in the production of the run game, you add in the defense, you add in whatever, I think that makes the biggest difference. And that's why, I mean, and I've mentioned this before, that's why I really wanted to go out and get a wide receiver, not because I dislike Equinemius or Marquez or Geronimo or even Jamon necessarily. I'm just worried what happens if these guys don't take a step. If they are the same thing this year that they were last year, I think that's a big problem. And as much as I'd like to assume at least one of them is going to step up, there, there's no reason to believe that it has to be that way. Geronimo, I don't think, is going to necessarily get better. I think he's been there long enough that we kind of know what he is. Marquez, Equinemius, and Jamon were late enough round guys that there shouldn't necessarily be an automatic assumption that they're going to get so much better. And the one guy who was kind of more of a mid-round than a late-round was Jamon, and it was kind of scary how bad things were for Jamon last year. So I can't automatically assume anything. It's, it's more just the sheer numbers uh, that are here that makes me think that somebody is going to step up, whether it's Jay Kumaro, Trevor Davis in this scheme, Geronimo, Jamon, Marquez, Equinemius, whatever. Alan Lazard, I don't know. But that's sort of my biggest fear. I, I, I want to see the pass game work. Right? A, 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 pa- a good Packers team is a team that is extremely efficient through the air. And I've talked before about teams need to stick to their identity. The Bears tried to be a really good offense for a while. It failed. It wasn't until this past year when they said, we're going back to defense, that all of a sudden, look at this team and how good it is. Same with the Vikings. It's just, it's in their DNA. I don't know what it is. And I don't think the Packers are going to become the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that leans on defense and is just good enough on offense to maybe get you through the playoffs. That's not what it's going to be. Aaron Rodgers is going to lead the team through the air, or the team's just not going to go. And he's got to get some help. So that would be my biggest concern on offense. There needs to be rhythm uh, in the passing game. And that's going to have to be the wide receivers understanding and being up to speed in the scheme, being in sync with Rodgers, and, and making it go. Biggest fear on defense, again, it really depends where you want to go with this. Realistic fears as far as what do I think is going to happen compared to what would be worst case scenario. Um, I'm definitely worried about the edge rushers, not because I think they're going to be bad. I think they're going to be solid. I'm mostly excited about it. But the biggest absolute bomb that could be dropped on this team is to find out that Preston Zedarius and, and Rashawn Gary, not super good. Right, Preston had one good year. It was a fluke. Zadarius had one good year. It was kind of a fluke. Rashawn, kind of what we saw on film from him at, at Michigan, despite all the athleticism, he's not very good. 
that would be devastating considering the amount of capital, you know, an early first round draft pick and a ton of money on four year contracts with Zadarius and Preston. That would be just an atomic bomb. You know, as, as far as depth, obviously linebacker is a concern. Um, Blake Martinez is good. Otherwise, you got Ty Summers, James Crawford, Oren Burks. You know, James Crawford is special teams slash, you know, number three kind of guy. He, he fits that mold. But at the same time, as, as much talent as the team has at, you know, up front with the defensive line and the edge guys, I think Blake Martinez is serviceable enough that if Oren Burks can just take a minor step, I'm not going to care about the linebackers, which is probably part of the reason that the Packers didn't invest a lot in a linebacker, not to say that they wouldn't if one would have fallen to them, but it's not super urgent. We, we, we were in dire straits last year at linebacker, and it wasn't even that bad. Safety isn't really a concern at all with the exception of depth. Cornerback is the one that, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to drive everybody insane, so I'm not going to hammer this too much, but it does worry me a little bit because there's just so many question marks. Again, if, if what we saw in 2018 is as good as it gets, we do not have good corners. And having good corners is very important. As much as it's nice to have a pass rush, when the ball's coming out, you know, in about two and a half seconds, on average, you're not getting a lot of sacks when that's happening. Not even getting much pressure in that amount of time. Jair, Josh Jackson, Kevin King, you know, Tremont, if he's playing corner, Tony Brown, Kadar Holman, Natrell Jamerson, whoever, I really, really hope... And, and I, I think it's actually very similar to wide receiver. If the defense is a failure, the, the easiest way for that to happen is for these corners to just not be able to do their job. The best way for this team to just absolutely destroy people defensively is if these corners can just lock it down. If Jair takes a big second-year leap and is, is just an absolute lockdown, you know, top 15, top 10 corner, if Josh Jackson can step up and and be the quality corner that we saw those flashes, same with Kevin King, we've seen the flashes. If he can be more consistent like he was against Julio and be the guy that you match up against the big physical guys that like to push people around, if he can be that matchup guy while Jair's kind of on the the shiftier, speedier guys, if they can be, you know, press corners that, that kind of slow things down so that our pass rush can actually get to the quarterback, jam them up, get in their face, protect them for at least a period of time, and then on top of that, have a have an instinct and a nose for the ball like we know Josh Jackson can do, like we know Jair can do. And then, you know, you've got the, the safeties on top of that, that that add a dynamic. But I think cornerback is kind of where I'm leaning just because it, it fits with the whole best case and worst case. And you could say it's the same for outside linebacker, but I, th- I think there's I'm more comfortable that that's going to be a, a sufficient group because they at least were last year. Again, based on last year's number, we have arguably the best pass rush in the NFC North today. Based on last year, we don't have very good corners. We got Jair, who's good, and that's kind of it, but a lot of potential, even more so than the wide receivers. These are all early-round draft picks. These are guys we've seen great flashes from. Kevin King and Josh Jackson, Tony Brown has shown flashes. I love his intensity. I think he's he's another one that's overrated by Packers fans, but I really do like you know those those flashes. He was one of those guys that, you know, every once in a while you see a really big play like, oh, who is that? And several times last year was like, oh, it's Tony Brown again. I like that guy. And I think intensity is going to be a big part of it too. It's, it's an attitude group. Jair's got attitude. Tony Brown's got attitude. Kevin King seems to be a little bit more of a swag guy than an attitude guy. I'm not really sure. But he can hit pretty violently. Josh Jackson seems a little bit more silent as far as the group goes. But what, whatever, right? Doesn't have to be verbal attitude. Just violent aggression. So my... my 
My biggest concerns, I guess, would be the corners don't get any better. The more unrealistic but horrific ex- thing that could happen to the Packers, not just this year but in the future, would be that the pass rushers just aren't very good. But I think corner is going to be my biggest concern because it's super important and I, I can't just assume everybody's going to get better. I can't assume Kevin King is going to be healthy and he's going to be awesome. I can't assume Josh Jackson's just automatically, because again, we've been down this road before. And I've been down the road of saying, well, this year will be different, this year will be better. I, I'm tired of saying that. I'll believe it when I see it as sort of my new attitude toward things. If you didn't produce last year, I know it's possible you can, but I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt until I can see it. But again, these are also, wide receiver and corner are also the biggest sources of excitement because, again, if the corners can hit, this defense is going to be unstoppable. I mean, just having good corners can make a defense. But having good corners and having the interior defensive line and having the pass rushers and having the safety help, I just, it's it's borderline hard to be a bad defense with that level of quality. It's going to be difficult to be outside of the top 10 if these corners can be, you know, a top unit. Let's say you got three guys in the top 30 or top even 50. I mean, you'd have to have one that's like inside the top 10, one inside the top 20, and then maybe another one in the 40s. I don't know. You don't want 41, 2, and 3. That's not a very good unit. But you get what I'm saying. So anyways, if you have any thoughts on other superlatives or would you rather, let me know. Otherwise, I'm curious your thoughts. And, and, you know, again, it depends how you want to answer it. Answer it however you want. It doesn't have to be my criteria. But biggest source of concern offensively as well as defensively otherwise i'm gonna get out of here i gotta go to work do that whole thing you folks have yourselves a fantastic day i will talk to you tomorrow have a good one bye-bye